This is Escape from the Burnout Society, a podcast dedicated to prevent and overcome chronic stress and burnout. It is also a dialogue with many experts around the world in the fields of health, mindset and lifestyle. I hope you enjoy it. Check for more information on our website www.escapeburnoutsociety.com. I am your host, Gabriela Guzman, and my guest today is Dr. Rachel Gainsbrook, who is not only a busy healthcare professional, but also a successful entrepreneur in luxury Airbnb and short-term rental real estate investor. Rachel is passionate about helping healthcare professionals create a life they don't need a vacation from through Airbnb investing. As a doctor, Rachel knows exactly what it's like to feel burned out, overwhelmed and in debt with over half a million dollars of student loans. It is amazing the financial literacy level she has. And as you will see, she learned everything she knows about finance during the very scarce spare time she had while working overtime to pay her debt. Dr. Rachel is a self-made entrepreneur that succeeded to reach financial freedom while being a mother, a wife, and a full-time health professional. Now she's helping other healthcare professionals and professionals in general to achieve the same. So, hi, Rachel. Welcome. Welcome. Thank you so much, Gabriella. It's so good to be here with you today. Well, it's uh, quite an honor. You are uh, what they call in Dutch, they would say primeur. So that's the first time I'm going to interview someone who has just an uh, excellent curriculum in the real estate. <laughs> and um, uh, Rachel, I just want to dive in immediately um, because after the introduction, I think many people would have a question that it goes like this. And how did you get to this idea? Uh, let, let's, let, let's talk first about um, financial situation before and uh, what was at work? And of course, how did you get your finance literacy? Yeah, thank you, Gabriella. And I just wanted to thank you so much for taking the time to putting this content together. It is such important information because a lot of my colleagues are former colleagues, and we'll talk about that in a little bit, really struggle with stress, really struggle with financial literacy. And believe it or not, financial literacy is not something that we were really taught in healthcare uh, education. We have our doctors, but that's something that was very, very lacking. So Gabriella, thank you so much. Kudos to you for taking the time to curate and put together this content for, for all of us. And so I, I so appreciate that. I just want to to say that first. But um, as far as where I got started, I'm a little girl from Haiti. And so uh, we grew up at the time. I did not know that we were poor <laughs> financially, but, you know, we grew up, we had a good life. We didn't have a lot of money. Mom and dad, they really stretch their dollars. And unfortunately for, for me, they didn't really teach me anything about financial literacy, but I should have taken some clues in because mom, she budgeted tightly to make sure that the dollars lasted the end of the month. So I did see it in person, but it did not translate because once I went to college, uh, thankfully my college, the first part of my college career was completely paid for through scholarships. Um, you know, academically, I did very, very well. But the second part of my uh, college education for the doctorate, Gabriella, was not paid for. And so my first interaction with money was taking out student loans. So again, it was not taught financially 
financial literacy because there was not a lot of finance to alliterate upon. But once I had access to those student loans, I didn't know um, how to really manage it. Uh, They allowed me to take out much, much, much more money than I needed. And so I used some for living. I used some for food. I used some to enjoy myself, to spread out, to get uh, better accommodations, a little bit of shopping. And what we were taught in school, and I remember a professor saying this, you're going to be making so much money. And so (laughs) you're good. So I was like, then give me all the money that you can. And that's that's really where I started. Fast forward um, after college, went through residency, uh, started uh, there. It was like thirty thousand dollars a year, which is um, just one year or two years. We start, you know, it's almost like a training, but it's a paid training. But after residency, when I started working in my career, I remember making ninety two thousand dollars that first year, which was huge. You know, I mean, uh, during high school, I worked at a men's shoe store and then I worked at various, you know, grocery stores. So 90,000, that was huge. But the way I got taxed, I got taxed pretty much at a really high level. And so what I was taking home was not anywhere near that. It was probably more like 60,000. And can you imagine um, not understanding financial literacy uh, and having money for the first time? I was like, okay, now it's time to live my best life. Bought the best car, bought on loans, uh, built a house on loans. And uh, there was a grace period, maybe six months or so before we started to have to make payments on those student loans. Because Gabriella, I graduated, my husband and I, we graduated with a total of half a million dollars in student loans. Wow. Half a million dollars in student loans. And so the house that we build was $200,000 around there. And so the student loans surpassed, the payments surpassed our, our monthly mortgage on the house payment. And it was crushing. It was a really, really hard and dark time. And quickly I realized if I don't get a handle on my finances, you know, I would not be married any longer. I would not have anything saved for college for kids. It, it just, it became very much a detrimental situation. And so um, my husband, he couldn't even look at the numbers. He was just, he's very conservative. He's, he doesn't spend. So for him, he just felt helpless And I would see, you know, just the whole his body language was changing when we talked about budget because we had to talk about the big B word budget, you know, because if you live off of more than you make, there is no future for you financially. And so we started cutting back. We sold the house. Imagine coming from a 4000 square foot home. I think it was forty five hundred, nearly five thousand square foot home with two kids, a cat (laughs) at the time. And going down to rent a 1300 uh, square foot apartment. You know, a home that you built that you own is going to be forever. You rent a 1300 uh, square foot apartment. And so for drastic um, debt, you have to make a drastic change. You know, so say I had $10,000 on a credit card debt or something like that. 
yes, we would cut back in some ways, but this was a drastic life altering amount of debt. So we had to make some drastic changes. And so I started reading all the books I could on financial literacy. In the US, there's a guy named Dave Ramsey. He talks about the debt snowball. I read everything I could about him. I listened to his podcast. I just consumed, consumed, consumed. And it, it was a mindset shift because again, little girl from Haiti, I didn't have much but now I had made it. I had made it. Wow. You know, I'm a big doctor now, so I have to dress the part. I have to look the part. And so I came crashing down. I couldn't dress the part. I couldn't look the part. It was either I dressed the part and I looked the part and put my personal household in danger and put my marriage in danger. Or I said, you know what? I don't care what anyone else, you know, thinks of us for doing something crazy, like moving into an apartment but I need to get my finances in order. And it was the best decision I ever made. I can't imagine that was a quite downsizing, but uh, I can't imagine it's also so much stress when you have to pay so much and the debt is not getting any any uh, smaller. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then you yeah. still have to, to, to keep on paying, of course, interest mm -hmm. rates. I don't know how, how are in the United States at yes. the moment for, for a debt, but... Um, I mean, I can't imagine I would have maybe done the same, but what I'm very interested in is that you have a full-time job in, I mean, and it's, it's quite hard because it's not like nine to five. I guess there are many changes in your schedule every daily or maybe in the week, weekly basis. And you are studying every night about finances or well, in the weekend. How do you do that? Thank goodness for audiobooks. <laughs> so on commutes, I would listen to audiobooks. Um, I would be a part of, you know, communities like Facebook groups. If there's a post of something that's a value that pops up, I take a look at that. But the the same message over and over and over again was resonating. And it was, first of all, uh, create a small emergency fund. You know, whether it's $1,000 or $2,000, create a small emergency fund because that helps, you know, for you to stay away from debt. If something, you know, the tire pops on your car, well, you don't have to put that on a credit card. You have the small emergency funds to start, stop relying on that type of debt to have a preparation plan. And then the next one is put your debt in order from the smallest to largest. And so that was every day the same thing over and over again. We actually drew pictures in the office. Okay, we had the smallest debt and we assigned it and we drew an animal, the largest, next, next, next. We had paper clips, just visuals. So when it came to that type of financial literacy for personal finance, it is a lot of self-control. It comes with a lot of self-control. Uh, when you have that kind of debt, you really have to change your whole mindset. If we, like right now, we're, thank goodness, in a better position. If we decide tonight, you know what? Let's, you know, enjoy ourselves. We're going to eat out tonight. We do that now. But back then there was none of that. Eat out was once a month and we knew it and we had better make sure we enjoy it thoroughly. My husband and I, we um, what was great for us was we established a blow money envelope. And so what that is, is he would get $100 a month and I would get $100 a month and we could do whatever we want with it. And no one can ask any questions. It's none of your business. I can do whatever I want with it so that you don't have those little arguments. Oh, I saw you spend 20. Oh, I saw you spend this. 
you know, that doesn't make for a, a, a cohesive situation. And so you would think, you know, well, you're on a budget. Why would you even have that? It was very important to have that, believe it or not. It was very important because it still made you feel a little bit human. <laughs> like you can do a few things, but, you know, you, within reason. And so for years and years, we did that. And it, it changed. It really, really changed the trajectory of our lives because we were able, you know, those I, I did work a lot. He picked up every shift, extra shift he could. He's a psychotherapist, so mental health. I picked up every shift that I could. And so we were really, really working a lot, a lot, a lot of hours and just consuming content on audiobooks, podcasts. And so we did that for about two and a half, three years. I'm, I don't love that we did that, but we got rid of the debt in that time. Wow. And, and what were you doing at this mo moment as a healthcare um, doctor? With, in what Pharmacy. Field? Pharmacy. Yeah. Okay. So my, my schedule was pretty um, solid, but I was working overnight shifts. I looked for the most um, highest revenue positions and it was working nights. So I worked 7 p.m. to 7 a.m., uh, seven days a week. And I had seven days a week that was off. And then I came back 7 p.m. to 7 a.m. I would I would not do it again. <laughs> it was it was tough. Your body gets accustomed to it. You think your body gets accustomed to it. But I never got accustomed to it. I always kind of felt a sense of a stomach ache. Um, the stress was incredible and unbelievable. Um, I wouldn't do it again, but it achieved it helped us achieve that goal of getting those those loans paid down. Wow. Did you have any kind of illness related to this um, change of shifts? Yeah, I, I had weight gain, you know, and it's something that, you know, um, happens. But that's the visible is weight gain. Uh, other than that, nothing that's visible. But you wonder, right, what what underlying things that you may have done to your body that may show up later on. So I think it's very, very important that you take your health uh very seriously. Uh, right now, I just, I'm really on a mission with my health. I, I work out with a personal trainer. I'm making sure that I monitor my nutrition. I'm drinking my water. I just kind of go overboard with it because I only have one body, right? <laughs> yeah, of course. One, one body, one life. And right. uh, so Rachel, well, so you got rid of your debt. I think that's amazing. That's a really good for a book. Are you planning to write a book, by the way? <laughs> <laughs> that's great that you said that. You know, we actually... Um, I published a book uh, with a group last week and it hit Amazon number one bestseller, which is awesome. It's called Hospitable Hosts and it's about hosting people on short term rentals. And so that was great. Just writing that story about guests that I've had the opportunity to serve. And we can talk about the real estate side in a bit. I'll, I'm happy to share about that as well. Yes, please. <laughs> yeah. All right. So, and, and then the next step, well, you had this, gained all this knowledge, you together with your husband, because I think uh, to do that as a team is very important. Yeah. Um, and what was the next step? Because suddenly you decided to buy a property or, or you already had a, like a plan, like it's going to be like from A to B and then to C, or how did it happen? When you start to make a huge amount of traction and you have momentum. I mean, there's, there was nothing quite like it. So when we had downsized significantly and we had get, gotten our expensive down to very, very little, there was a lot of money to throw at the debt. And once we got rid of that, we decided, okay, it's now time for us to move into a home. 
So we we purchased a home. We put a down payment on a home. We got a, a smaller mortgage in a better area. Great schools. At the time, we took our kids. Um, our kids were in private school, very expensive private school, more expensive than my knowledge, my college. Right. But my husband, he gave me a wake up call. He says, no, because <laughs> I was busy. Gabriella, I was so busy trying to impress everyone. I was impressing people who did not pay my bills. I was busy trying to impress people who weren't paying my bills. And my husband, he's like, what is wrong with you? He grew up, he's of Scottish background. He grew up honestly with a lot of money. And so for him, he's he doesn't put on airs. He's wearing a t-shirt right now from when he was 17 with holes in it and he's happy, <laughs> you know? But me, he says, you're Miss Fancy. You want to be fancy? <laughs> So he doesn't care to impress anyone. He prefers to have a solid foundation, solid, you know, bank account. He doesn't really care about what others think about him. And so I'm learning a lot from him. So, yeah, the kids were in private school, all of that. So this time when we purchased a home, we purchased a home in a very good school district area. This time it was not about the structure of the house, making it fancy. It was, is it located in a place where the schools are good, very good, so that we don't have to put the boys in private school? And we can save on private school. Why is so it that was really, yeah, yeah. And so that's what we did. And so we we had we still had a good amount of revenue coming in. We cut back a bit on our hours so that we can start to have a little bit of breathing room in our lives. But we still had a good amount of revenue coming in. We purchased our first home for us to live in. And then we looked around and we said, okay, that's great. We got rid of the debt. We're so grateful we got rid of it. But we don't have any savings, right? And so the next step is, okay, how do we um, grow our income, create a savings and grow our income in a way that it will continue to grow for us? What can we invest in that would uh, 2X the revenue in 10 years or 3X the revenue in 10 years, something along those lines? And at that time, it was so funny. We'd learn about Bitcoin. It was just coming up, I want to say, in maybe... 2010, 2011 or so. And we were like, oh, this looks interesting, but we couldn't figure it out. And one thing I believe in, if you don't understand it, don't invest in it. (laughs) And that's my philosophy because I would have thrown some money at Bitcoin probably, you know, and I probably would have done well. I probably would have not. I don't know, but I just didn't understand it. I really didn't understand it. So what I understood was real estate. I said, okay, I get this. This I understand. You buy a house, you can touch it. It's right there. I can see it. I can see this house. So that I understand. <laughs> so we we went that route to buy uh, our first uh, real estate investment property. Um, we put 10% down. So the house, it cost, there was a whole journey. We went different paths, but finally we decided to do short-term rental, which is like vacation rental type of house and 10% down of the entire mortgage is what we had saved up. And we put that down. We furnished the property and instead of renting it like a let for um, 12 months, we rented it on a daily basis, two nights minimum. And that really, um, it, it accelerated our savings significantly because for instance, in this market, um, a four bedroom would rent for $2,000 per month unfurnished, which is nice, but the short-term rental uh, overall, it can rent anywhere from six to $8,000 a month. So that was, that was what we decided to do because we wanted to really accelerate that savings. 
Wow, that is really significant, uh, uh, more uh, re revenue, you know. Um, mm -hmm. So you, how did you choose your first property? That's a great question. It was an interesting journey because here in the U.S., there are so many ways to invest in real estate. There's something called syndication where you're investing almost like in a stock, but it is in real estate. You many people invest in one building. You know, um, we looked at that and I analyzed that so much because I thought this would be good because it doesn't require too much time. And that was something I wanted to be very careful of. I did not want to buy another job. Right. <laughs> I was trying to get away from a job. <laughs> right. I, I had I already had a job. I didn't want to buy another job. So um, that one seemed great because it was very passive. But when I really did a lot of digging in, I didn't see the return on investment that I was looking for. I didn't see a, a really healthy return on investment. And so I looked at uh, different homes that were a little bit uh, lower cost price. Um, well, significantly lower cost price, but uh, renting it out. Again, I didn't see the return on investment. So I found this home. Uh, it was not too far away from where we lived and it went on the market and I understood my particular market because again, I was consuming a lot of audiobooks on real estate this time, a lot of content on podcast interviews on uh, real estate as well. So I understood how to calculate the numbers, you know, that preliminary look. I understood how to um, understand if a deal has uh, issues with it. Okay. So this home is one that I could tell already the roof had issues and it needed a new roof. And so as an investor though, you have to put on a different thinking cap on because if it's your home, you, your family, and you're raising your kids, you know, when you hear something like, oh, the plumbing is no good or the electrical is no good or the roof is no good, you walk away. That's what I was taught. You always walk away. But as an investor, you put on another thinking cap on if the plumbing is no good or if the roof is no good, well, how much does it cost to fix a roof? And then you start to evaluate the deal that way because say there's enough margin between the cost to fix the roof and the equity that's in the home, it still can be a phenomenal deal. So this is a deal that uh, I get a newsletter on deals every month, every day that uh, homes that are going for sale. This was in my neighborhood and I could tell from the property that it was going on sale for a hundred thousand dollars less than it should have. And so I reached out and I found out that the reason it was going for $100,000 less was because the owner, unfortunately, was an older person, lived there for a very long time. He passed away and his son, who's the trustee, is in another state. And so they don't know the market. They don't understand. They say, okay, just sell it for this amount. That sounds reasonable. Well, I knew that wasn't reasonable. That was a great deal. So I reached out and said, I want to buy it. We want to, we want to purchase it. And we were number eight in line, Gabriella. But when you see a good deal, you have to fight for it. And so we were number eight and everyone else had asked for this contingency. I want you to fix this first. I want you to fix that next. I want you to fix that. Well, I did my research and $100,000 of equity already. And then it would take $10,000 to replace the roof. So I'm $90,000 of margin. And so I said, I don't want you to fix anything. I'll take care of everything. And they, I won the bid, even though I was number nine or eight or nine, because I didn't ask for anything. I knew that area. It was right in my own backyard. It was the market that I 
understood very intimately. And so it's really under, it's really important that you understand your investing strategy. It's important that you understand as much about it as possible. And so I came in uh, and I did the work. I had uh, a team come. They ended up uh, replacing the room for $9,000, $1,000 less than <laughs> I had calculated. And we uh, purchased about $12,000 worth of furnishings. We furnished that property and it rented from anywhere from uh, six to $8,000 a month. Wow. So that was quite a research what you had to do to get into the conclusion that it was going to be a the best decision still to buy, repair, and just uh, wait. Mm -hmm. Wow. Um, so this was your first property and, um, and you thought, well, this is not going to be the last one, of course. Yeah. <laughs> how did you, how, how much time did it take to, to, to buy another one? And uh, that's a great question. So the next one we bought in about five or six months or so. So we were on a roll. <laughs> so it was about taking the revenue. Um, the mortgage payment for that property was uh, $1,400 a month, $1,400. We're making about $6,000. So we use that spread, the difference, and we save up for the next 10% down. And so when we reached 10%, we went in and we found another property in that same area and we went ahead and purchased that one. And that one was another good deal as well because the homeowner uh, had moved out of state. She was renting it out to uh, a tenant for the last three years that was paying $1,800 a month. Again, totally undervalued this property. This property was double the size of the first property. And so... $1,800. She was out of state. They paid, um, you know, they paid on time. She loved it. But when it gets to three years uh, of having a previous property, there are tax savings uh, that you're going to miss out on if you still own it and you're renting it. So at the three-year mark, she needed to get rid of it. And so again, a lot of individuals coming in, realtors are coming in to bid with her. She's in a whole other state that was Washington, D.C. I'm in Georgia, which is south in the U U.S. and she's like central east. And Yeah, they, they kept, you know, going back and forth, back and forth. But I wanted to really connect with her and understand her pain points because I understood she was an investor. I told, oh, I'm a new investor. You know, this is my second property. And we really connected and we really related. And as a matter of fact, she taught me a few things about some of these tax savings because she was a CFO for a major government company. I was like, oh, my goodness. So she had a lot of um, insights and just really a lot of wisdom. And I learned from her too, but out of everyone, she selected me to, to take the deal because I, I understood what she needed. I, I could execute quicker. I wasn't going to ask her for a lot of contingencies because we're in a market now, it's even tougher, but we're in a market where things were getting tough. You have to kind of work with the the seller to make sure that you can get in. It's it's not a buyer's market. It's definitely a seller's market. Yeah. Uh, uh, when are we talking about? What, what was the date? How many years yeah. ago? 2020. 2020. Mm -hmm. So right. the first one was 2019, the end of 2019, November. The second one was 2020. Um, I want to say um, April or May in 2020. Yeah. Wow. How many properties have do you have right now? 
I own six myself, uh, but I do employ some other strategies. So overall, I take care of 18 properties. So for individuals who are um, professionals like myself, because I have figured out a system and I have a team that helps me, uh, they, they don't necessarily have that in place. And so they reach out to me and say, hey, can you help me? I want to do this, but I just don't have the time. But this is the approach that I want. And so I help them. I teach them how to do it. And I tell everyone, do it yourself. Don't pay someone. But some of them are like, I, I can't. I'm, I'd rather pay you to help me. And so they'll give me a percentage and I'll uh, share it with the team that takes care of the guest communication, the cleaning and all of that, because these are short term rentals. So uh, two nights, day, three nights, day, sometimes a week, sometimes a month, but primarily um, very short stays. Wow. And um, so you found uh, you found this way to buy more and more properties. Now you are helping others. Tell me. What did your colleagues say? I'm very curious to know your environment. They say, okay, you're a doctor and suddenly you're a genius in real estate. What did they say? <laughs> That's a great question, Gabrielle. And I don't think I've ever been asked that question. So here's what I'm learning about business. Um, when you start to go out on the entrepreneurial path and become a business owner and to start to own your time, you're going to see both sides, right? From colleagues, from family. Some people were worried. They said, oh, real estate, that's risky. <laughs> you know, we, we got a little bit of that uh, real estate that's risky. Um, and unfortunately, during the COVID times, that became very, very stressful to healthcare and everyone. Right. And I was asked, oh, my gosh, I've I bet you all of the homes, you know, they're in terrible condition because it's COVID. But what they didn't realize, we made some of our best revenue during that time, because what happened was we had uh, students from universities who couldn't go back home because the borders were shut. So they their family sent money. They rented from us, you know, from a local university. We had a family that sold their home. Their dream was to go to live in Europe for two years. They had nowhere to live. So they rented from us for, you know, and it wasn't for two night stays. They were renting for three months, six months. So we got really long bookings at a really good rate. Unfortunately, the more we stay home, the more wear and tear on the house, believe it or not, this is something that I learned there myself. And so some people, they flood their bathroom and the whole house is flooded. Unfortunately, some people, I have a guest right now and we had guests back then whose house caught on fire for whatever reason. It was, it was insane. It was really, really tough. And every month I get a guest whose house caught on fire. I don't understand it, but it shows you that You're living in this world and you don't know what else is going on out there. But every month I get a guest whose home caught on fire. And so where are they going to stay? They can stay in a hotel for a while, but they want to cook. They want to feel like home. And so the insurance company <clears throat> for the property calls us and we're one of their preferred homes and they will put a whole family. One uh, mom said, imagine cooking for a family of 10 in a hotel. I said, oh, no, I can't imagine that. So the home that's four bedrooms, six bedroom can fit and accommodate these families that need to be somewhere because something happened to their home. And so there it was a different time for us. No, I didn't have vacationers coming, but I had more of um, families who needed to be together in a space. 
So, Rich, well, then my question is, so you have built your uh, business and what kind of uh, implications this, uh, or does this have for your uh, practitioner as a, as a healthcare worker? Yeah, so oftentimes when you're in a situation and you feel a little bit helpless, I feel as though it gave me an opportunity to really look at my environment and to make decisions to start to live my life on my own terms. And what I mean by that is when I first started out and I was in half a million dollars in student loans, and if the upper management wants us to go harder, go faster, stay extra unpaid, I'm I'm here for it. I'm doing it. I'm doing everything because... I was approaching it from a place of stress, from a place of fear, um, from a place of scarcity, desperation and hopelessness, really. And the only thing I knew is I need to trade my dollars, my hours for my dollars and just punch a clock and punch another clock and then several clocks multiple times. We had multiple jobs going on at the same time. But when you have a business on the side, one that lights you up, one that gives you joy, one that you set up in a way that you can get assistance in the right way. You know, I did it the wrong way too, <laughs> but I learned the right way. Sometimes it's a little bit more of an investment to do it the right way. When you're hearing management or when you're hearing an organization that is asking you to do something that maybe you're not comfortable with or asking the team to do a little bit more than they probably can handle realistically, not only do you have an opportunity and you have the confidence to maybe say no for yourself, but I was standing up for others. I say, well, why should she <laughs> have to pick up these extra shifts? Because guess what? I'm looking at the my colleagues. Some of them are newly graduated. Some of them have been around for a while, but I look in their eyes and I see that same scared girl like me who was desperate. And so I felt as though it was my role to ask those types of questions, such as, you mean to tell me they have to train for eight more hours unpaid? How does that make, who, how does that make sense? You know? So these are the questions that I was able to ask that a lot of people were afraid to ask. And during these last couple of years, um, three years or so building out my business, my voice became louder and louder. And I feel as though, the corporation got tired of me and I got tired of them <laughs> simultaneously and not speaking up in a rude way, but I asked these hard questions and sometimes they didn't want to answer these hard questions. And so I found myself being an advocate for them, but honestly, a lot of them to start that started, they were telling me it was risky. Real estate is risky. You know, you need to focus on your W2, focus on your job and, you know, the company will take care of you, you know, for years and years. And I was like, that's old news. That doesn't happen the way you think anymore. Right. You have to kind of carve out your own destiny. Um, and then when they saw it was really working, they said, teach me, how are you doing this? So the narrative changed completely. <laughs> I think some of your colleagues uh, might be in, in your student list. <laughs> yeah, oh, they are. They are. I just got an email last night. Yeah. And even the managers, Gabriella, 
as I'm leaving after the goodbye party, they slipped my personal email. I sent everyone said, it's been great working with everyone. I've learned a lot. And then I provided my personal email and they went ahead and they, they emailed me. Even the managers emailed me. How are you doing this? Could you agree with me if I would say that you actually, through this whole process, you have discovered someone you didn't know? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Someone who had found their voice, someone who was creative, actually. Um, I've just been heads down, academia, numbers, numbers, numbers. And even with the property, I was able to kind of create and design homes in a way that I didn't know that I knew how to do. Even my parents were like, who designed this? Was he said, where did you learn this? Not from us, you know? So they were surprised, but it really lit me up. And to have a guest come back and say, oh my goodness, Rachel's extra special touches, you know, I would, the hospitality side of it, because it is real estate investing, which can be boring. But when you're doing it this way, it's more of a hospitality business. And so bringing in local organic honey sticks and just little things, they remember, the guests remember that. And it just completely lights me up. There are days where it's hard too, right? You're troubleshooting, you're navigating and you're going through it. But For the most part, it has been just absolutely wonderful. And I have discovered someone else, someone else that's totally different. And so not only with the uh, real estate side or the hospitality side, even teaching others. And I'm, I'm just on a mission to improve the financial literacy of so many women because I was in a position where I felt lost, desperate and like I didn't have any help or resources. And so it was a mindset shift. And, I, and that's why I'm passionate about it, to make sure that the women in my community, especially those in healthcare, are aware that there are other ways out there than just changing your exchanging your hours for dollars. There's another way. Exactly. So the, the, the way we learned that it should be, it doesn't have to be that way. No. Nope. And so let's say people have uh, money to invest and they're interested in your story. What do they have to do? What would you advise them to do? Yeah, absolutely. And I know that you have international listeners, but there are different ways and approaches to host. So if you feel as though you have a hospitality um passion to serve others. Uh, these nightly stays are really, really a great approach. You can either purchase a home if it is within your budget, or you can rent a home. So there are individuals that in my community who say you, Gabrielle, you have a home that you own and you're just looking for a responsible person to rent that home. And so my community, they will rent this home, let the homeowner know I'm going to rent the home. I will not occupy it, but I'll make sure that it's well taken care of and you get paid on time uh, before the month begins every month. But we're going to be hosting people coming in to see family or people coming in uh, to work at the local hospital or professors at the university, whatever's going on in that area. So they can rent it from you, Gabrielle, for $2,000 per month. And then the upside that that part they get to keep for doing all that work and putting it in. And what's great about those types of hosts is the home has to be in phenomenal and great condition. They're going to keep the home in great condition. Otherwise, guests will not stay with them. So it's going to be a different type of uh, tenant, a different type of renter, because their business relies heavily on um You know, that home being in great shape 
and showroom ready. You can take photographs any day. My rentals look better than my personal. <laughs> they have to be ready at at all times, right? For a guest. So they're, they're well taken care of. So that's a good way to start. It's not as expensive as putting 20% down, but that's definitely an approach that's possible and that's out there. So there, there are different ways to host and everything is figure outable. And if those are, you know, out of your budget, you can maybe connect with someone, partner with someone who's doing it and learn from them and help out with the cleaning. Look, I, I may be the CEO of my business, but I'm also the cleaning lady if I have to be because it's your business. You got to take out the trash too sometimes. And so partner with them there. You know, it's it could be busy, you know, so they're looking for help. And if you can partner with them and help them, that'll be a great place to get your foot in the door. And Rachel, do you, are you coaching people one-on-one? You have courses. What do you have? How do you help people? Yeah, absolutely. So I do have a coaching program. I do group coaching. And on a weekly basis, we actually interview uh, experts in the area in our free Facebook group. So that's a great way uh, to get in touch with me initially to check out some of those trainings. Uh, they're free trainings, but they're amazing. I take you step-by-step step on how to analyze a particular market, uh, how to identify the right properties, how to find the funding, how to get it designed. I have um, several coaches in my program who are design coach or how to price things. I have a pricing coach, operationals, how to manage your cleaning team. All of that is a part of it as well, because I, I wanted to, again, make sure that my members uh, are not buying another job. We don't want you to get another job on top of your job because they're already busy. So we have all of that uh, in place and they can just go to rachelbnb.com. That's R-A-C-H-E-L, B as in boy, and B as in boy.com. And they'll get access to the, the free Facebook group and we can connect that way. That sounds really great, Rachel. I mean, indeed, my audience is spread all around the world, but um, there are always things to learn from yes. other countries because what you just mentioned about the COVID situation, I just thought, well, maybe that was the worst time for your business, but now you're telling me it was just flourishing. It was like great times. And I would never think about something like that. Meaning I, would, I didn't expect it either. So you never know. You just never know where opportunity will come from. So that's the big, big, big um, thing to learn in life, huh? isn't it? Yeah. Find opportunity where you think there's not. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And so when, when there are problems, if you can solve a problem, you have a business, right? And so we were solving the problems for those who could not travel out of the country. We had professors who were here from uh, Asia who were here for a month to teach at a university. Well, they couldn't leave. So I had to solve their housing problem. They had to stay for longer and they didn't want to stay in a hotel for too long. And so, yeah, if you solve a problem, that's definitely a way to create a business. Well, Rachel, I want to thank you for your time. It has been really a very interesting conversation, quite unique for this podcast, since your background and your the mix of all your expertise. Um, thank you very much, and I will uh, we'll keep contact. Thank you so much, Gabriella. I appreciate you hosting me today. <laughs> <laughs>